know all of the families. I mean, I meet them on the job site, and it's nice to meet the future homeowners. I always think about them. I remember them, and I know how close we are to their neighborhood, and those are some of the things I reflect on and the impact it has had in my life, knowing that we did something good in the community. Good morning, East. It's good to be here with you guys this morning. I'm uh, I'm really excited to be up here today. I'm so I'm so excited. I've I've told on myself over the last two services, so I'll let you guys in on it as well. Um, as I was driving up from Bedford, where we live, this morning is about 6:30 a.m., and I was rehearsing my sermon, kind of going through it, you know, making sure everything flowed. And I was so into my own sermon that I wasn't even paying attention. And I came up to Judah, went over a little hill, and right at the top of the hill, I met a cop. Fortunately, it must have been too early because he was not clocking me or else I surely would have been pulled over. I was doing 75 miles an hour up there. So I am thankful for God's grace this morning. in a way that is new uh, today. So, hey, let me, let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Father, you are good. You are gracious to us in ways that we don't even see. Um, Lord, this morning, we have come to hear from you. I, I know, God, that there are, there are people here this morning that are hurting. They feel lost. They're looking for answers. They're trying to carry weights of this world that, uh, and it's just kind of bogging them down, bearing them down. Their shoulders are heavy. God, may, may they find rest in you today. May they find hope. May they find a community of people who want to come alongside of them and love them through this time as an extension of your love to them. And so, Father, there are people here today, all of us, really, we have come to hear from you, not from me. And so my prayer is that your voice will be the first and the only voice that we hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, when I was still pretty new in my walk with Jesus, I went out one night for a prayer walk. It was one of those perfectly pristine evenings. There was not a cloud in the sky. There was a little bit of a cool Christmas in the air. Uh, You could see every star. I mean, it was just beautiful. And I spent about an hour, hour and a half just walking around campus at Lincoln Christian University where I went to school and and, and just pouring my heart out to God during that time. Uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And so I'm like, God, I just give that to you. Please show me what you want me to do, where you want me to go. You know, what's next for me? And I spent all that time just just pouring out to the Lord. such a sweet time of of communion with, with him that I think back to quite a bit as one of those moments that that really shaped my faith that evening. And as I walked around uh, the the drive, I got to our our dorm room, and I went to open up the door. And right as I was about ready to open it up, there was this this slight breeze that blew. And as it came by, it picked up the the honeysuckle bush that, that grows right next to our dorm room. And so that smell of honeysuckle was just in the air. 
And I remember thinking, God, thank you so much. What a, what a perfect way to end this walk and this time that I spent with you. It just reminded me of the sweetness of the Lord. And as I was walking through the door, there was another breeze that blew, only this time it caught the cow pasture just past <laughs> the honeysuckle. And uh, as I'm walking into the dorms, I'm laughing, going, God, you get me. You get my sense of humor. That's awesome. And I'm not even kidding. True story. Every time I smell honeysuckle, it takes me back to that moment. Every time I smell honeysuckle, it reminds me of the goodness and the grace of God. It reminds me that he desires a relationship with me, that he loves me, and that time spent with him is sweet. And some of you, you hear that story and you're like, yeah, I've got I, I, something just like that happened to me. And I have this thing that every time I experience it, it takes me back to a moment. And, and you just kind of get caught up. You can, you, you can identify with that story. And some of you are like, that was really weird, Sean. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know that I've ever had anything like that happen. And, and you know what? Both responses are okay. Both are Okay. Because what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is that God has designed each one of us uniquely and he desires for us to worship him in accordance to the way that he's made us. God desires our worship according to the way he has made us. We're in week three of this series called Move. And the idea behind it is that each one of us has a different way that we move closer to God and we feel like we best connect with, with him. We have a way that is unique to, to just who God designed us and created us to be, that we feel like we can best give love to God and receive love from him. And, and so some of you, you're a sensate like me. You feel like you can worship and you feel closest to God when all of your senses are, are engaged. Uh, some of you are more of an intellectual. And so you feel most connected to God when you're able to, to really um, capture thoughts and concrete ideas. Maybe you're an activist who feels like you best connect to God when you're serving out on the mission field. You best connect to God when you're serving in something like the furniture giveaway, which, man, can I just tell you, that is such an incredible event that our church gets to put on every single year for international students that are coming to Bloomington. It is such, it's a world-class event, and we need your help. So if you haven't signed up to, to volunteer and serve at Furniture Giveaway, we still need help with some lifters, some people who wouldn't mind moving furniture up and down and, and bringing them and delivering it to people's homes. We need help with some drivers, people who are willing to drive a truck. So if you feel like, like you feel most connected and worship God best by serving, man, go out to the kiosk today and sign up to serve at the Furniture Giveaway. Maybe you feel most connected when you have a hammer in your hand and you're pounding away, hammering, putting a, putting a home together for habitat. And all of these are good and they should be celebrated because again, God wants us to worship him the way that he made us. And so these have come to be known as spiritual or sacred pathways. Hopefully you've had a chance to go online and take the little assessment that we've made available. It takes about five minutes. There's a link to it in your bulletin. If you want to learn more about how to, to practice those, we've been giving out this little card. We've got some at the welcome desk if you didn't get one. It just talks about some practical ways that you can begin to walk down your spiritual pathway. And last week, uh, Parker Sims, our high school minister, did a great job, man, it was so good, talking to us about the enthusiast and the contemplative. If you missed it, go back online, check it out. It was really good. The enthusiast, the, the contemplative, what we can learn from their pathway and how they connect with God. 
And this week, we're going to turn our attention to the traditionalist and the ascetic. The traditionalist and the ascetic. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, then we have got some pew Bibles that are in front of you, or you can follow along uh, with the words up on the screen. Just kind of hold it there. John chapter 15. So who are these folks that walk down the traditionalist and the ascetic pathways? Let's look first at the traditionalist. They prefer order and structure in their worship, in their spiritual lives. They, they lean into things that are familiar and known. They best connect to God through rituals and symbols because these things attach them to the deeper parts of faith and community. Or, or for some of you, they take you back to a time in your life when your faith felt most, most vibrant and, and alive. My grandma Horton was a traditionalist. That's, that's her. It's my daughter Adeline on the right and Nora on, on the left. And Grandma Horton passed away just a few weeks ago. And like I said, both in her faith and her life, she was a traditionalist. We had certain traditions in our family growing up that uh, we all knew were non-negotiables because they meant so much to grandma. Uh, one of them was Christmas Eve. And so every December 24th, our family would gather together. Everyone brought this same food every single year. It's like we, we weren't assigned, but it's almost like we were assigned. You know, Aunt Jean knew that she's supposed to bring the taco dip. We brought the chip dip. Uh, we had a lot of dips whenever our family would get together. But it was just tradition, and we had those traditions, and so many of them were just unwritten, and, and we would go through it. And in fact, when uh, my, my wife Amber reminded me last night as we were talking about this, that in the first year or two that we were married, um, we were going to a 4th of July party. And she's like, oh, hey, we should make a cheese ball, because your grandma's cheese ball is really good, so we can have that. And she said, I looked at her and her said, no, we don't serve cheese balls at this holiday. That's just for Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> But our family had these traditions that we stuck to and they meant so much to us, mostly because they meant so much to grandma. And one of them was every year after we would open up our presents, grandma would collect all the boxes back, right? She'd take all the boxes back. She'd say, hey, don't, don't throw that away. Don't throw that away. I want that back. I want that back. If there was like wrapping paper that could be used over again, grandma would be like, fold that up. I'm going to use that next year. And so we would do that. We'd give her a hard time about it. But we got to the point where we would begin writing our names on the boxes whenever we received something. And we'd write the, the date and then we'd write what we got in that box. And we did it to give grandma a hard time, but she actually loved it. She said that every year when she would sit down to wrap Christmas presents again, she would see the names and the date and what was in it. And it wouldn't take her back to the present. It would take her back to who the present was for. It would take her back to that moment of our family gatherings. And she said she enjoyed just reliving them over and over through that. After her funeral, all of us went to her home uh, one final time for a meal together, a place where we had created so many memories as a, as a family. <laughs> and as I was walking around, I came across some of those boxes with the names and dates on it and just had to smile because I knew how much they meant to grandma. And if you're a traditionalist, and chances are that you apply some of those very same concepts to 
your faith, that those things that are familiar, they feel like home to you. It's just where you feel like you best connect to the Lord. As we were singing some of the hymns this morning, they may have taken you back in time in your spiritual life where you just felt really connected to God or, or maybe it reminded you of someone who used to sit next to you during worship that no longer does. And you value and you treasure those things and you feel like you're able to worship God better because of them. What about the ascetic? The ascetic wants nothing more than to just be left alone in prayer. They live kind of a monastic lifestyle. They value silence and solitude so that they can reflect on the Lord without any interruptions or distractions. They live a simple life physically and spiritually. They would prefer to be still over the rush of life that many of us find ourselves in. Ascetics are disciplined. They enjoy taking spiritual retreats and they don't really care if anyone else joins them. They just kind of want to detach from the world and go and spend time with the Lord. I think it's a lesson that all of us could probably learn from the ascetic. In both of these pathways, the, the traditionalist, the ascetic, they're both valuable in their way to, to connect to the Lord. And my guess is that we have several people in here today who would say, yeah, that's, that's my pathway. That's how I feel like I best worship and, and best sense God's love for me. And I think that both of them understand so well that God desires a deep and intimate relationship with us. What both the traditionalist and the ascetic understand and teach us is that God desires, imagine that, the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, desires a deep and intimate relationship with you. And so all of these things, from rituals to solitude to symbols like communion and the cross, all of these things draw us into a rich and growing and vibrant relationship with God, the type of relational connection that Jesus invites us into. Look at our text with me. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. This is what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. And you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So in our text today, Jesus is using these symbols of a vine and branch and fruit. He's using these symbols to illustrate the importance of remaining connected to him. And in this conversation, it takes place in between the upper room and Gethsemane. And, and so the cross is just an hours away. Jesus has just got done having this sweet Passover meal with his disciples where he initiated communion. He talked about the new covenant. And, and as they're walking from, from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would pour his heart out before God in prayer. He, he's, I imagine that him and the disciples are walking through and they come across the vineyard and Jesus points to it and he says, I am the true vine. 
And he uses the illustration that they see, he uses that symbol to, to talk about the importance of remaining in him. And it's such a beautiful example of what it means to be connected to Christ. The branch cannot live without the vine. The vine is a source of life and nourishment for the branch. It's what keeps the branch fresh and growing. It's what allows it to produce fruit that others get to enjoy. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I am your source of life and nourishment. I keep you fresh and growing. Remain in me. That's an important word in our text. We, we see multiple words repeated over and over in those five verses. One of them is the word re remain. Other translations say abide in me. The word is the verb form of dwelling place. And so Jesus is saying dwell with me, live with me, and your life will produce fruits of righteousness. You'll have patience when the kids are running around screaming, not listening to anything that you say. Your laundry's piling up. Your to-do list is a mile long and you're sitting there going, how much longer until school starts? <laughs> Anyone else or is that just us? Maybe it's just us, I don't know. <laughs> you have kindness when your coworker starts going off on his soapbox again for the hundredth time and you've had it up to here and you're just having to endure it. You'll find peace when life feels chaotic. Be able to surrender when you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's next. You don't know what this means. <laughs> You'll have perseverance when your marriage is struggling and feels like it's about to fall apart. Like I think that that's the life that all of us desire, right? Like we want a life that is marked by love and joy and peace. We, won't, we don't want to be emotionally tossed around like a boat in the waves. We want our life to be on a firm, solid foundation. We want there to be a consistency to it. We want a life that is a blessing to our family and to our friends and to others. I think we all desire that life so much, especially as our world is moving away from that. We desire that life so much. But if you're anything like me, what ends up happening is we find ourselves scattered. Our schedules are full, but we don't feel like we're getting anything done. We wonder where all of our time is going and if we're contributing to anything meaningful. We feel hurried and, and, and rushed. We're busier than we want to be and we don't know how to slow down. We're, we're looking around going, where's the, where's the pause button? Like, I just need life to slow down a little bit. It's moving by too quickly. We're reactive. We never really feel like we can take the reins of our life or a schedule that is just in the hands of everyone else. And so we're just responding to things that come up, which leaves us exhausted. You get to the end of the day and your head hits the pillow and you're tired and you're discouraged. You're wondering if you've spent your time well, hoping that tomorrow will be better. You keep telling people that love you like, like hey, this is just a season. This is just a season. But you've been saying that for so long. It just seems like the season's never going to turn. And all of these ruts, man, we all get stuck in them at one time or another. They, they, what they do is they begin to detach us from the vine and our souls begin to dry up and the fruit begins to wither. And so instead of 
peace, we worry. Instead of love, we fight. Instead of patience, we walk through life just kind of feeling like we're set on edge, always about ready to explode. In our busy schedules, we find ourselves constantly juggling relationships and responsibilities and we feel like like we have all of these balls up in the air and we look down and we're dropping more of them than what we're able to keep up and we just feel tired and discouraged. Some of you have been there before. Some of you are like, that describes my life right now. That's where I am. My guess is that for some of us, that's led us to some dangerous places trying to find that life again. It's led you to addiction. It's led you to unhealthy relationships. And so now you do whatever you can to try to find that life that you once experienced and, and you do whatever you can to, to avoid silence because of where your mind goes in those moments and so you just fill it with noise. As Charles Spurgeon once said, quietude some people cannot abide because it reveals their inner poverty. And so you fill your life with noise to distract you from the pain and your branch continues to thirst for the life that it once had. And it's in the midst of this that Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branch. Remain in me, dwell with me, and your life will produce the fruit that it desires. And so in light of John 15, how do we remain in Christ and dwell with him so that we can stay connected to the vine and our life can bear the fruit of his goodness and his his grace? One way is a practice that I think speaks to the values of both the traditionalist and the ascetic. It's a way that dates back to the early monastic movement in the fourth century, and it leans into the traditionalist value of structure and symbolism and sacrifice. It leans into the ascetic's appreciation for solitude and simplicity. I think it has a lot to teach us today, even if one of these isn't our natural pathway. It has a lot to teach us about how to nurture and grow our relationship with Christ. And it's called a rule of life. A rule of life. And I know what you're thinking. Sounds awesome, right? Like who doesn't want more rules in their life? <laughs> but that's not actually what the, the word rule means as we traditionally think about it. The, the word rule is actually a translation of a Latin word, um, regula, which is a derivative of trellis. The, the word rule means trellis. And you think about the purpose of a trellis, I think it begins to really bring the beauty about of, of what a rule of life can do. You know, a trellis is something that, that is, it gives structure for a vine and a branch to be able to, to grow on. Without a trellis, it, it just kind of becomes this blob that, that grows and it goes places you don't want it to go. It gets caught in things. It, it, it can almost become disastrous. But when you, when you allow a vine to grow on a trellis, it becomes beautiful, it takes shape, it has form because it has a structure that it's growing on. And because of that, it's able to produce its fruit. It's able to flower for others' enjoyment. And in the same way, that's what a rule of life does for us. It provides structure for our spiritual lives to grow on. It is daily and weekly habits that help us stay connected to the vine so that our lives can produce fruit. 
And there are so many great resources out there to help you develop a rule of life. If you haven't read it before, man, I highly recommend um, Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I went through that book about 10 years ago, and I had to reread it for a course that I'm going through uh, just a few weeks ago, and it reminded me just how good it is. And, and the, at the end of that book, he talks about how to develop a rule of, of life. But one that I recently read is a book that Tyler Cadwell, our middle school minister, um, gave me. It's an excellent resource on this. It's called The Common Rule. And the, the subtitle is Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. And doesn't that describe like the world that we live in right now? An age of distraction. I read something last week um, that, that we are distracted on average every three minutes. Every three minutes something distracts us. And so this, this the, the principles in this, and really just the principles in a rule of life, help us to focus and remain grounded and put practices and habits in place that our faith can begin to grow on. And so here's what I want to do as we close this morning. Um, he recommends eight habits that can form your rule of life. Four of them are daily habits. Four of them are weekly habits. And they're all designed to help us love God and love others more. Help us, they help us attach to something or detach from something. And so I want to walk through these eight habits. And my challenge to you is this. Are you guys ready for a challenge? Ready for a challenge? All right. Thank you, Alan. Alan's ready for a challenge. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down one of these habits that you're going to commit to doing every day between now and next Sunday. And one of these habits that you're going to commit to doing sometime between now and next week. All right? So everybody go ahead and pull out your bulletin, get a pen, um, open up the notes app on your phone, whatever you need to do to jot down so you can remind yourself that, oh yeah, I committed to, to do this uh, at church on, on Sunday. All right, so let's look first at the, the daily habits. These are things that you can just pick one of these four that you commit to doing every day over the next seven days. And the first habit is kneeling prayer three times a day. And some of you are already like, yep, I'm out. Not that one. Uh, that's uh, not going to happen. <laughs> but the, the point of that, and maybe it's not kneeling. Maybe it's just sitting down and, and you just bow your head low. The point of it is that you take in your prayer, you take a posture of humility. Prayer itself is already an act of humility. It's, it's, it's saying, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. But, but by doing kneeling prayer three times a day, you take on the posture of humility. And by doing it scattered throughout the day, morning, noon, and night, you're reminding yourself that there is nothing I go through in the day that one, the Lord is not there. Two, he's not interested in. And three, that I can't bring to him. And so maybe for you, you commit that every day over the next seven days, you're going to kneel in prayer three times a day. Number two, um, share one meal with others. Share one meal with, with someone that you love, a friend, a family member, a coworker. You can invite one of your neighbors over for a cookout. Just share one meal with someone every single day. And in that time, have a meaningful conversation with them. Put your phones down, leave them in the car, put them in another room, and just have a meaningful face-to-face -face conversation with someone over a meal. Number three, you could spend one hour with your phone off and some of you are like, I'm out. That's not me. <laughs> and you know, the truth is we were made to be present. 
We were made to be in the moment. And so many of us are distracted by our devices that we miss out on the good stuff that's happening right in front of our face. And so I challenge you to turn your phone off for one hour each day over the next seven days and give your full attention to those around you. Maybe that's something that you say, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's my one thing. Number four, scripture before phone. How many of us, as soon as the alarm goes off, oftentimes it's on our phone, we, we pull it over, we hit snooze, we open up our mail app and we start scrolling through our email, we check social media, all the messages that we've missed and before our feet even hit the floor, we're already anxious about the things that we have to do that day, we're already worried, we're already angry about the news that broke while we were asleep. And so instead, maybe for the next seven days, before you turn on your device, open up God's word and just spend some time growing in it, letting it be your foundation so that then you can tackle what's to come through the rest of the day. All right, we good? Those are our four. Everyone got one that you committed to? All right, great. Let's look at the weekly habits. Again, these are just something that you commit just doing one time, sometime between now and next Sunday. So the weekly habits are this. One hour of conversation with a friend. Again, we were made for community and intimate relationships. And so just sit down and have a one hour meaningful conversation with a friend. Number two, curate media to four hours. This means committing to only watching four hours of television this week and choosing wisely what you're going to watch. I mean, how many of us, we just sit and we have the radio on, or we have the TV on, it's just kind of more background noise. We're not really paying attention to what, what we're kind of feeding our minds and our souls. And so the challenge on this one is to just curate four hours of television each week. And I love that he uses that word curate because it means going out and searching for stories that uphold beauty and teach us about love and justice and community and grace. Stories that are redemptive and remind us of God's love for us. Number three, you could fast from something for 24 hours. And a lot of times we think of fasting as being something that, that involves food or doesn't involve food. You know, we fast from food. But fasting can be anything. You can choose to fast from television for 24 hours to turn off the radio when you're in the car. You can choose to fast from your phone. You can choose to fast from exercise. And some of you are like, boom, found it. Mark that one down. <laughs> I got my thing. <laughs> And the purpose of fasting is to take time that we would normally spend doing that thing and giving it to the Lord in, in prayer and it, because it reminds us that he is all that we need, that he is the one who sustains us. And number four, take a Sabbath. Man, commit, commit this week to take one day where you just stop working and rest. I think it's a value that we are losing in our culture that rushes and rushes and tries to pack in so much. Man, don't make excuses. Take one day and rest. God gave us the Sabbath as an act and a measure of, of grace. He invites us to Sabbath rest with him because it reminds us that he is God and I am not. <laughs> it reminds us that he is the one who sustains the world, not me. And so spend an entire day praying and playing and getting refreshment that your body and your mind and your soul need. Okay, so those are the four weekly habits. 
And the four daily habits, hopefully you accepted the challenge. You're going to practice one of those each day over the next seven days. You're going to do one of those things between now and next Sunday. And for some of you, it's going to be a really enjoyable experience. Like you're going to really get a lot out of that. And you're going to feel like this is a trellis that the vine and the branch of your life can begin to grow on and bear fruit. And so if that's you, I encourage you, there are so many great resources out there. Check them out. Learn, model it for us how to do it. Now, some of you are going to do that and you're going to think, thanks a lot, Sean. That was a complete waste of time. If that's you, I'm going to be down in Bedford next week so you can take it up with Tom. Um, That's not my problem at that point. (laughs) But the purpose of a rule of life is to create a structure that our spiritual lives can begin to build upon and produce fruit. To remain in Christ throughout the busyness and the distraction of our day. And it's not for everyone. I mean, truth be told, I've tried to stick to a rule of life before. I, I, I really um, just admire people who are able to do that. And I'll have some seasons of success and then some seasons where I'm like, oh yeah, that was a thing that I used to do. And so for me, it's more of a suggestion of life than it is a rule of life. Maybe that's you too. But whatever it is, there is value in the practices. And so don't get hung up on what you're doing and focus more on the one that you're doing it for. Learn from the traditionalists and the ascetic and find something that helps you disconnect from the chaotic world around you and reconnect to the vine so that your life can bear fruit. That you can experience a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus that you and others will benefit from. And we live in a world that leaves so many of us, myself included, just exhausted and exasperated at times. I just imagine walking through life feeling a sense of direction and purpose and love in the midst of the chaos around us, living a life of rest in our soul. This is the life that Jesus calls us to. Maybe for some of you, you came today just to hear this verse. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to you, no matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, this is Jesus' invitation to you in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest rest. Jesus invites us to get away from the noise and the busyness, to get away from our rote religious duties that lost their meaning years ago, to move away from these things and towards him. And when we do, our souls will find rest. And the greatest rest of all that Jesus gave us is the confidence knowing that we don't have to do anything to earn God's love. He's already done it for us. He's already freely given to us through Jesus. And because of Jesus, we don't have to work for our salvation. We can rest in him knowing that our sins have been forgiven and that we can be in a relationship with our heavenly father because of his sacrifice on the cross that paid the price for our sin. And so as we close this morning, we're gonna close by sharing communion. And communion is a symbol that Jesus gave us to remind us of his death, burial, and resurrection. If you're new with us this morning, I just want to share with you how we take communion here at, at Sherwood Oaks East. 
At the 9.30 service, I think I confused a lot of people because I shared with them how we take communion at Sherwood Oaks Bedford, where we use two trays. But we only use one tray here at Sherwood Oaks East, so I'll try to give the right instructions this time. So here in a moment, servers are going to pass a tray, and you'll find a, a little piece of bread. And what that bread does is it's a symbol that helps us remember Jesus' body that was given for us given for us on the cross as he laid down his life and took the punishment for us that our sin deserved. And then there'll be a cup and we invite you to take one of the cups. And the juice helps us remember his blood that was shed that, that washes us white as snow so that we can be forgiven and set back in a right relationship with God. And so let's take a few moments now as we close off our service to remember the gift of Jesus and the grace that we have in him. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.